Are you struggling in your faith? Are you pretending you're happy but stuck in a spiritual rut? Are you tired of listening to famous pastors and preachers who make it sound so easy? Welcome to Broken Catholic, the number one Protestant and Catholic voice in America. I talk about the important things that nobody else is talking about, like how to align with God's plan for your life, because I believe this is where 90% of Christians get stuck. And I tackle the negative self-talk that we all secretly struggle with but won't admit. My guests are brave Protestants and Catholics who share their struggles, their fears, and their daily holy habits that help them win in their spiritual lives. I'm your host, your coach, your friend, Joseph Warren. I'm also a broken Catholic and former atheist and a spiritual coach to Christian business owners and CEOs who are married with children. This show was created for you, the broken Catholic, who's pushing to get your spouse, your kids, and yourself to heaven. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you're just one surrender prayer away. Today, my featured guest is Stephen Ray. He was raised in a devout and loving Baptist family. His father was a deacon and Bible teacher, and Stephen, otherwise known as Steve, was very involved in the Baptist church as a teacher of biblical studies. After an in-depth study of the writings of the church fathers, both Steve and his wife, Janet, converted to the Catholic Church. He is the host of the popular award-winning film series on salvation history, The Footprints of God. Steve is also the author of the best-selling books, Crossing the Tiber and St. John's Gospel. You can find him at catholicconvert.com, catholicconvert.com. Now, uh, BC Nation, the reason why I brought Steve onto the show, one, he's a powerful Christian evangelist out there, and he's infecting, impacting uh, people with God's love, God's truth, God's forgiveness, which this world is starving for. Look around us. We just had the presidential debate last night, and no offense to anyone out there on either side. It was a cluster F. It was. It was just a mess right? Just no respect for each other. And this is, this is the narrative that the media has created, this lack of unity amongst humans, amongst people. We can't even see ourselves as one human family, let alone all the divisiveness uh, in the way we worship, uh, in what we believe, and what we stand for. So we're going to get into that a little bit. So uh, grab out, uh, grab your pen and paper. Um, we're going to jump into the show. We're going to hear Steve's uh, journey, his spiritual journey, and we're going to talk about divisiveness and unity and, uh, you know, where we're called to be as Christians, as Christians. And if you're on the, if you're in the non-Christian space right now in your spiritual journey, totally fine. That's just where you're at right now. I was there, right? And just join us in this conversation because I bet you're going to find some things about us Christians that you're going to be like, yes, that's exactly how you all occur in the world. You're a bunch of hypocrites, right? And rightfully so. You're not wrong. So let's get into it. Steve, welcome to Broken Catholic. Go ahead and fill in some of the gaps in that intro, would you? Well, thank you, Joseph. Here's the biggest I'll fill in right here. The thing I'm proudest of isn't the books and the movies and all that. It's this. This is my family, my four kids and their spouses, and my 18 grandchildren. That's what I'm proudest of. That's what makes this old man tick. But uh, 
Thanks for having me on today, Joseph. I appreciate the respect that you, you have for me to even invite me, and I appreciate that. And thanks for your good work and what you're doing for the, for the gospel and for the kingdom and for the world. Um, I, like you said, I was born and raised a Baptist, and I was born and raised a very anti-Catholic Baptist. My dad and mom made sure I knew that Catholics were going to hell. The Pope was the Antichrist. The church was the uh, whore of Babylon, and we had to get Catholics saved. And I, I was good at evangelizing. I could pick Catholics off the tree like a ripe peach because they didn't know their Bibles. Catholics don't know their Bibles in general. They don't know how to explain or defend what they believe or why. Most of them are born that way, and they, well, I'm just Catholic. So um, that's the way I was raised. I loved evangelism. I'll have to say that I, my mom and dad were converts in 1953 from Billy Graham. He came to Detroit. That's where a family lived. And my mom and dad were just good American pagans. They didn't have any religion, never been taught to pray, never went to church, but they got married young. Um, they ended up moving to Detroit to work at Ford Motor Company, and they heard Billy Graham, and they became Billy Graham Christians, a Baptist, joined a Baptist church. And they then they had 12 years of miscarriages, and my mom says, now that I found Jesus, please give me kids. I'll raise them for you, Jesus, and I'll give them Bible names. So along comes Stephen, David, and then Timothy. And they made us memorize Bible verses, 50 cents for every Bible verse they made. And then we had to learn this. Most, most people can't do this, Catholic or Protestant. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd, 1st, 2nd, 1st, 2nd, 1st, 2nd, Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Job, Son, Prophets, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Zanuday, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Name, and Back, Except, and Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Those are the books of the Old Testament. We had to learn those forward and backwards in 45 seconds or less. And uh, But my mom, she wanted us to know the Bible when we were kids, and we grew up that way. And the big event in my life is in the, I was 17 years old. I was raised. I'm an old guy. You're young. I I'm, uh, will be 66 in just a short time. And I graduated from high school in 1973. That, and that you, if you look back in history, that's when the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and drugs and free sex and rock and roll were all there. And when I was 15, I decided I wasn't going to be a Christian anymore because the world was way too much fun. And I couldn't find any cool Christian kids to hang out with anyway. So I caused my parents a lot of grief for two years. I was a rebellious hippie kid. I had long hair. And I'm like, look at this, see this? Joseph, I had long hair down to my shoulders, like a lion's mane at the time, bell-bottom blue jeans. But anyway, you obviously partied your hair away. That's what happened. <laughs> I, and I, Billy Graham, my mom had him on the radio one night when I was 17. And I heard Billy Graham and I got tears in my eyes. And he said, God has a plan for your life. And you can put your name in there for God so loved Steve Ray. He gave his only begotten son. And then George Beverly Shea comes out at the end and starts singing, just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. And I got tears in my eyes. I was just like struck by the Holy Spirit. And I went out and walked down the country road, long hair and all. And I looked up to heaven. And I said, Jesus, I'm a stubborn, rebellious 17-year-old kid, but tonight I'm going to give my life to you. Hook, line, and sinker, every day is yours. From that moment on, Joseph, I, that has been my goal. It was like the trajectory of my life. The rocket ship took off. Every day since then, the goal of my life is to serve Jesus as his disciple. He's my Lord and Savior, and I'm his disciple. And that I've, some days I live it better than others. But that's always been my goal. And here I am now 66, and I can say it was the best decision I ever made in my life. Mm, so powerful. Let me jump in here, Steve. Now, I have a, a 
just a, a very poignant question. And that is when you walk down the road and you, you, you accepted Jesus into your heart in the Protestant space, right? That, that was your conversion moment. That was it right there where you became saved. Uh, how did you not go back to your old ways? And you know a little bit about me. I have this little control freak in me that always is fighting God, always resisting God's love and God's mercy and God's forgiveness. And I want to do it my way because obviously my little control freak thinks it's God, right? So how did you not fall back into the old ways, the old partying? You're 17 years old. You were now about to enter your 20s. Lots of temptations still going on. How did you stay so committed to this new trajectory? I just fell in love with Jesus and the Bible and the gospel. And I had been raised in a good home and I had a father that was very much like how I perceived God to be very forgiving, very gentle Ford motor. He had the same job for 30 years at Ford motor company. And they, I asked him, dad, why didn't you ever get a promotion? He said, cause every time they called me in and asked me, they told me I had to work weekends and evenings. And I told him I had three boys at home that need me more than Henry Ford does. And he never gave us a television. He taught us to read books. And my dad was like God to us when we were young, loving, forgiving, encouraging. So when I finally found Jesus, I remember kneeling on the, at the green vinyl couch with my mom when I was four years old, asking Jesus into my heart. That's when I would have said I was saved, but this is kind of like I just discovered it for myself at 17. All of a sudden, wow. This is, but when I came back from that walk, I was changed inside. The Lord did something in my life, and I started studying the Bible, and I went back to school that year, Plymouth High School, 1,200 students uh, graduated that year, and I went back, and I was going to get everybody in that school saved. They're all on drugs and everything, and I went back. See, I'm a rebel at heart. You're, you may be somewhat of a control freak. I'm a rebel. I'm a countercultural guy. And for me, this was the best way to be a rebel that you could possibly be to be a Christian. When my son wanted, he, he's almost 40 now, but when he wanted to get earrings and tattoos when he was a teenager, I said, not in our house, but you're not going to do that. And I said, why do you want to do it? To be different, Dad. I want to be countercultural different. I said, Jesse, if you want to be countercultural and different, be a genuine Catholic and you will get noticed. And he took me up on it, by the way. So I have, I have always had this kind of rebellion. I don't want to be like everybody else. And there was no better way to do that than to be a Christian and now to be a Catholic. So for me, I jumped in with both feet and I never looked back. I never had the desire to party again. I, had, I, I used to go to parties just to get to evangelize people. And to me, I, I don't know how to explain it, but it, it was any desires like that were gone. I just loved the Lord and I wanted to find a good wife and I did. And we got married and had kids. And our goal was that we were going to prove to the world that a man and a woman could be married for a lifetime under the Lordship of Christ. And here we are 43 years married and I love her now more than ever before. And I, we could, second point was that we could raise kids to love Jesus too. And that worked. So that, my trajectory was set and I, I don't know how to explain it, but I never looked back. That's powerful. And what I love about your story, Steve, is that you didn't have to give up the natural wiring that God put in you. If anything, it got enhanced, right? It got expanded. You had this natural rebellious streak. And when we think about Christianity, if we're in the non-Christian space right now, we think, oh, I'm just going to have to be this meek, weak uh, type of individual and give up everything I actually like or enjoy. When in fact, here you are, 
with this built-in rebellion in you. And now God puts it to use for his kingdom, for his glory. And I, as you were sharing that, I'm just thinking, man, Jesus was the ultimate countercultural rebel of his time, was he not? Yeah, he certainly was. Well, I, that's exactly the case. And the whole desire to follow Christ just drove me. And I found that night when I was walking, I remember the Lord giving me a verse. And I, I say that it sounds a little arrogant, like God spoke to me. But, you know, there are times where something comes so clearly in your mind, you know that it came from outside. And it was Matthew six thirty three, And it was like the Lord spoke it right into my heart. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all and his righteousness to yes. be holy and to live right. And all of these other things, I'll take care of them. Don't worry about them. And you know, since that time, Joseph, I have never had to worry about a thing that God has kept that promise. And I tell young people today, if you put your hands in the, in the hands of the Lord and you give your life to him, not just one room of your house, but if you say this house, I'm going to open up every door. It's like, you're going to rent a room and God says, I'll take that room, but I'd like that room to no, 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 that's, that's mine. I'm only going to let you have this mm -hmm. part of me. And then he says, okay, that's fine. I like what I see. If you want to change your mind, let me know. And later you say, well, you know what? I could use the extra hundred bucks. I'll, I'll rent him the other room too. And pretty soon you end up giving God the, all the rooms in the house. And I found out I was freer and had more fun. And the house was bigger now than it used to be. But you can't, you can't reserve and say, you know, I'm going to give God this, but I'm going to hold on to this. You've got to give God your whole life. And when you do that, I have discovered that he will never let you down and you don't have to worry about a thing. He has taken care of me through thick and thin, through one business after another, through everything I can imagine. And I look back on my life now as an old guy and I say, wow, I could have never planned it that way. That's so powerful. And, you know, I'm a business guy, right? That's my background entrepreneurship and I've had some early success and you were sharing before we went live that you've had some, uh, some really good business success doing six figures, seven figures, uh, you know, 600 employees, etc. And, you know, I think in the business world, we, the reason why we keep God out of our faith is because we think it's a this or that. If I worship God or bring God into my business, then I have to stop chasing profit. I have to end up poor. Like, and we have this, like some kind of lie going on in our subconscious that I, that we cannot do well and be profitable and build this great kingdom business for God, where God is at the helm, God provides for everything. And we're just kind of like, there as God's employee, he's the CEO. So speak about that for just two or three minutes uh, in your business life, how you were able to surrender yourself and your business to God, because that's scary as heck when it comes to our finances as men. Well, Paul says in the book of Galatians, two things. He says, work with your hands, work and so that you can provide for yourself and you're not a burden to anyone else. That's first. Paul also says, if you don't work, you don't eat. Go out and work hard with your hands. Take care of yourself and your family. Anyone who doesn't take care of his family is a worse than an unbeliever, it says. But then he also says, work hard enough so that you have money to share with others so that, that they don't have a burden to bear. So money is not a bad thing. Book of Deuteronomy says, God gives us the power to make wealth. It's a blessing from God. It's not a curse. Money is not a bad thing. It's whether you love money. Paul says the love of money is the root of all evil. If you love it, if that's what you crave, money is a good thing. It's only a, it's only a means of exchange. That's all it is. I've never loved money. 
I want, I want to have it so that I can take care of my family. I can share, I can be independent and do good for other people, but I've never, we should never allow ourselves to love money, love God, love people. Money is only something to be used for those other purposes. And so I, I started my business for the sole purpose that I would have my own business so that I could control my own life because I wanted to study the Bible and evangelize and be a good Christian and teach Bible studies and things. And I didn't want somebody else to tell me when I could do that. That is the basic reason why I started my own company is I'd have the freedom to serve God. And my dad told me, never go to college. It's a waste of time and money. Start your own business. And when I got out of high school, I had $5, an old Pinto station wagon, and I made homemade business cards, and I started knocking on doors, cleaning offices. And over a period of time, I built it up to $12 million a year with 600 employees. It was growing like crazy. Uh, I became a Catholic then, and I totally lost interest, and I sold my business, and now I've got this whole other thing I'm doing and enjoying every minute of it. But even when I was in business, Joseph, I would go into, uh, I'd sold janitorial services. So I went in and I'd bid against a big job. Three other companies were there too, bidding against me. Some of them were cheaper price. I always had the higher price because I told them I'm better. And if I'm better, it's going to cost you more. I got a lot of business that way, by the way. And I would tell people, they said, why should I hire you and not someone else? I said, because I'm a Catholic. And then you get the pregnant pause. And they said, well, what does that have to do with it? I says, well, because you're not my main boss. He's my main boss. He's the one I live for. And if I live for him, I'm going to do a darn good job for you. And you know it. And I got more work that way because I didn't, I was openly Christian. I wore it on my sleeve. Like I do now, look at this. I wear this everywhere. When I'm in Muslim countries, when I'm at the Western wall, everywhere I wear this, I want people to know what I believe and what I stand for. And in the business world, it works as well. Wow. Powerful testimony. We're speaking with Steve Ray. You can find him at catholicconvert.com, catholicconvert.com. Steve, we promised our listeners we're going to talk about uh, the divisiveness uh, in the church and, and denominational uh, divisiveness. Uh, divisiveness sometimes occurs within our own family uh, in the, the way we worship the same God differently. Um, and you come from the, the Baptist uh, tradition and then found your way into Catholicism. I personally come from the, the Catholic tradition, um, and then I married a Southern Baptist. Uh, so I married in, so we're kind of like uh, crisscrossing here, but I married into a family that saw Catholics as, uh, as uh, you know, going to hell, just the way you described, and they needed to convert me, and there was no way they were letting their oldest daughter um, into this heathen uh, household. And there was so much um, just anger and, and hatred and um, just, just like attacks and accusations. And it was all just false beliefs about what Catholics believe and just all this generational ignorance. And to the point where I just, I, I had no control. My little control freak couldn't control all this going on. So I had to surrender it all to God and just let him come in. And he did. And he healed our families. And now they, they accept me as their son. And because they, they have all daughters. So I'm their only son, you know, and it's just what God did was so powerful. So that's mine. Let's speak about you. You're Baptist. You look at Catholics as, as heathens, as you have to save them. When the heck did this idea come into your, your head that you're going to become one of them? How did that happen? Tell us that story. 
people ask me, what was it that you saw about the Catholic Church that made you fall in love with it? Or what did you see in Catholics that made you want to become one of them? And I say, absolutely nothing. I agree. <laughs> I had every bad caricature of the Catholic Church that you could have. And all the Catholics I knew were good examples of why I'd never want to be a Catholic. I'd ask them, are you saved? And they'd say, well, I didn't kill anybody. I didn't ask if you killed anybody. Are you born again? Well, I'm Catholic. I know you're Catholic. That's why I asked you if you're born again. But I didn't, they didn't have a clue. Now, Catholics today are much different. There's many, many Catholics now who are really starting to study their Bible and understand apologetics and why they're, that's because of a lot of guys like us that become converts and we begin to share it. But at, I, there was nothing I saw in the Catholic Church that made me want to become Catholic. It was problems in Protestantism that started the whole journey. Mm. And, and in my conversion story, I've given it over a thousand times in various places my story. And I say that there were three basic issues that caused me to d really give up on Protestantism. And I almost became an agnostic. There was a point in 1993 where my wife and I quit going to any churches and we almost became agnostic. I didn't want to be, but I just didn't see any other alternative. First of all, in Christianity, it was, um, what is worship? And the second one was, what's the final authority for a Christian? How do we know what God wants us to do? For me, it was sola scriptura, but then that started to fall apart when I realized there's 40,000 plus denominations all reading the same book and coming to different conclusions. The Holy Spirit must be very confused if he can't even keep it all together. But I realized that's not the problem. It was all of us trying to think that we knew more than God who built a church, started a church. And then that was the first, second one. The third one is how many churches did Jesus start? And that also goes into then what is morality? And I realized that Christians today choose their churches like people choose their restaurants. Monday afternoon, my wife and I drive down Main Street, Burger King, Pizza Hut, KFC. What do you feel like today? I feel like a pizza. Good. We pull in. Maybe tomorrow you'll feel like a hamburger. Sunday morning, we drive down the road. Baptist, Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterian, Pentecost. What do you feel like this morning? And we pick our church the same way we picked our restaurant. What do I feel like? What do I think I should be able to do? What, are, what morals do I, never once stopping to say, is there really a God? Did he really start a church? And if he did, where is it? And doesn't God have an opinion on all of these things? And if it is, where can I find it? So these were the issues in Protestantism that I began to, that pretty much drove me to the point of almost agnostic. And then the thing happened, Joseph was my friend, Al Cresta. Some people may know him from Catholic Radio. He was a Protestant pastor, my best friend for 12 years. We homeschooled our kids together, spent every weekend together. One day in 1993, he drops a bomb on us. He's over at our house for dinner. Steve, Sally and I have decided to join the Catholic Church. <laughs> what? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. You're way too smart to be a Catholic. What in the world are you thinking? Well, that's, that flipped a switch for us. And I started to study to say, well, Al is a smart guy. I've got 20,000 books in my house. Al's got 40,000 books in his house. And I said, if he's going to go Catholic, then either there's something about this or I'm going to have to prove him wrong. So we said the best way to do that is to go to the very first Christians and read them and prove to him that the very first Christians were really Protestants. So we started to read the fathers of the church. And what I found out was quite shocking. And over a period of time, I realized that the very first Christians were Catholics. They believed in the real presence of the Eucharist. They believed in a, uh, a Pope in, in Rome, a Bishop in Rome and bishops, priests, and deacons. All, all the things that I 
I, I could not find my favorite Protestant doctrines, faith alone, Bible alone, in the early Christian church. And so over a period of time, we backed ourselves right in the front door. And in 1993, we became Catholics. Wow. I read my way in, though. I have to say, Joseph, we did not talk to anybody. We didn't. I never once had been in a Catholic church, my wife or I, up to that point of January 1st, when I said to my wife, I'm a Catholic. We'd never been in a Catholic church. We'd never met a priest, and we had never met a Catholic who could explain and defend their faith. You know, it's, man, um, one thing, uh, you know, my wife uh, asked before we got married will I have to become Catholic? Like, is, is, is that the thing? Like, if I marry you, is like that what I'm signing up for? And I said, absolutely not. I said, all I ask is after we're married that you pursue God's truth wherever it leads. Smart. If God leads you to Catholicism, great. Be a great Catholic. If God leads you to be a better, uh, you know, Baptist, be a better Baptist and stay where you are. I will never ask you to convert. Um, and that was good enough for her. And that was enough respect. And, you know, God's and the Holy Spirit are doing their thing right now. And, and she's just, she's questioning some stuff. She's just like, wow, okay. Some of those things you were wrestling with. She's like, there's some inconsistency here. Um, so wherever God leads her and, and I don't have uh, an agenda in this and that, that creating that space, that safe space for her. Um, that it's not forced, it's not manipulated, there's no agenda whatsoever, but staying still in your spiritual journey, in your spiritual growth is not acceptable. So you must be willing to pursue God's truth. That means learning, that means asking, that means sitting with the Lord and wrestling some questions. And if you're willing to do that, then I'm on board. And, and she has faithfully done that. What are your thoughts on that? Very smart the way you do that. Now, I usually tell people before they get married, this is a big issue and it can be very divisive in the family and it can cause trouble for kids and it can, it can confusion for kids and fighting and so on. And before you get married in a situation, I think long and hard whether you want to do that. Paul talks about being unequally yoked. You know, you don't want to have a, an oxen and a donkey pulling together. It's unequal. But once you're married and in that situation, you have to be very careful and you've been very smart in the way you've done that because I, I coach people on this all the time is you have to you have to love people into the church you can't force them in you can't argue them in sometimes if i came up right now and i pushed you what would be your first reaction to push oh, me back yeah i'd take you out real quick <laughs> i'm not so sure about that <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he says anyway. with the texan hat on i love it <laughs> But the, the, the point is, is that if you push someone, they, the reaction is to push back. And in a marriage situation, it has to be one of love and respect. The, what's more difficult is once you're married in the same, say you're both Baptists, and then five years into your marriage, you discover the Catholic Church, and you do it behind, the, behind closed doors and one day announce to your wife, guess what, honey, I I've decided to become Catholic. Now, that's a real problem. And I, I tell men who are in that situation, if you start to discover the Catholic Church or a wife too, that you don't drop the bomb. You love your spouse and you love her intellect and her person enough to share with her and ask questions and invite her into your discoveries. Invite her into what you're thinking. Ask her what she thinks about this passage of scripture or this aspect. And uh, I, by the way, when we're done, I'd love to send you 
my book, Crossing the Tiber to Give Your Wife as a Gift. It's my story to my parents because my dad was so angry at me for becoming a Catholic that he one day just clenched his fists and his veins were popping. I thought he was going to have a heart attack. You must be backslidden. You must be living in sin to even think about this kind of Catholic stuff. And my dad, I told you earlier, was my the most wonderful dad. To grieve my dad was the worst thing that could possibly happen, yet I had to follow the truth. So I sat down one night and I started writing a letter. Dear dad, you're the best father in the world and I owe you an explanation. And I typed and I typed and I typed and it ended up being my book, Crossing the Tiber. That's how that book got started. It was a love letter to my dad about why and I'd love to send you a copy for your wife if she would, if that, if, but you read it first and see if she would, I don't want to push on her either, but you're doing wise. I would say, Joseph, to love her to, and to be a good example of what a real genuine Christian Catholic is so that you attract her into it out of love and seeing how beautiful it is rather than trying to be pushed in. What a good way to say it. And thank you for the acknowledgement. Let's shift just a little bit. Let's talk about divisiveness in the church, right? And and we'll keep using the Baptist and, and Catholicism or uh, Protestant and Catholicism. And why do we fight each other so much um, as sons and daughters of God, just because we worship the same father, the same heavenly father a little differently? Why is that still happening 500 years later? Because we care. I think it's because we care about truth. Let me say when I was an evangelical Protestant, I hated the Catholic church, but I loved Catholics. And I felt bad for them because I'd been taught that they were going to hell. They had followed a false gospel, a gospel of works. I had the Bible, they had tradition. I worshiped a God in heaven, they prayed to Mary. I, you know, everything I considered Catholics had upside down out of my love for them. And because I cared, I emphasized the division and did what I could to argue with them into the truth. On this side now, I'm a Catholic. I have the same desire for Protestants now to discover what I have found. And I care enough to confront them in a loving way, much more so than I did before as an evangelical. And I try to share with them that I understand what you, everything you have as a Baptist is good, but the Catholic Church is the fullness of the faith, and you're living on a raft, and I'd like to invite you to the big ship, back onto the ship. See, this is the way I view it, is that Jesus sent a big ship across the ocean called the Catholic Church. That just means the universal church. All Christians were part of this church, and it was a visible church. It had to be visible or the world couldn't see it. And along the way, a bunch of guys jumped off, Martin Luther and others jumped off and started rafts. They found wood, they lashed the ropes, they jumped off the ship on the raft. So now there's a bunch of rafts floating around. And the ship is still heading there, but now there's a bunch of rafts around. And everything they have good on the raft, they got it from the ship in the beginning. And I was not one who jumped off the ship onto a raft. I was born on a raft. I didn't even know there was a ship. And then I discovered one day that there was this big thing on the horizon. And I said to everybody on the other route, what the heck is that? And they said, well, I don't know. We don't want to talk about it. It's the ship. And I said, what do you mean it's the ship? Why am I in a raft if there's a ship? And so we start, and then I go over and I look for a year, Joseph. I paddled my raft around that ship, looking at it from every angle. I studied Catholicism and the history. And then finally in 1994, I saw a rope and I grabbed a rope in one hand and my family in the other hand. And I pulled myself up onto the deck of the ship. Now, I'm on that ship, and I look out, and I see all those rafts. Now, are they the enemy? 
they're they're protesters, of course. That's how they got on a raft because they protest. But that my mom and dad are out there, and they love Jesus. They're the one that taught me to love the founder of the country. And some of the people on the rafts can sing better than the people on the ship. And my goal now is to call to those people and say, look, everybody out there, I used to be on a raft, but I found this ship. It's the fullness of the faith. It's beautiful. I'd love to invite you to come back onto the ship where we all started in the beginning. So the, the unity of the church, I think, is so important. We talked a little earlier that the world looks at Christians and they see all these divided people arguing, fighting, different church buildings. Some, and the world looks at us and says, you know what? Why don't you get your house in order? Why don't you get your own house in order, then come back and tell us? Because Jesus said in his prayer, John 17, I pray that they would all be perfected in unity, that the world may know the Father sent the Son. How is the world going to know the Father sent the Son? By seeing the love and unity of his people. If the world sees disunity, they have the right to say the Father did not send the Son. Divisions in Christianity is a scandal. There is so many dives I can take into that topic. That was so packed. And by the way, Steve, one of the best metaphors I have ever heard with the ship and the rafts for explaining um, the universal Catholic church. Uh, absolutely fantastic. The imagery. And I'm just like, yes, yes. Oh my gosh. That makes so much sense. Right. And there's no wrong making in it. And I think this is key. Our egos want to make others wrong so that we can look right. Yep. And we get that little payoff, little adrenaline, little whatever, endorphins shooting through our systems. Ha ha, I was right, you were wrong. And there's this constant egoic drive in our lives to just be the rulers of our lives, to be the right ones, to be the control freaks, et cetera. And, and in order for that to happen, we have to have subjects. We have to have people beneath us, right. right? And it's such a false way of living. And if we're living that way, right, how could Jesus be the king of our lives if we're already sitting on the throne of our lives, yeah. making others wrong? Speak to that for a moment. Well, even in this illustration, um, my goal, of course, is to get everybody back into the one church that Jesus started. It was a visible church with an address. And when he says, if your brother sins against you, go to your brother and ultimately, and if he doesn't listen to them, then take it to the church. That was the final court of appeals was the church. So say you're a Baptist and I'm a Methodist, and you and I have a problem between us. What church are we going to take it to? Where is the church that can adjudicate our issue? If I go to your church, they have no authority over me. And my Methodist church has no authority over you. And it makes a farce of Jesus's words, take it to the church. The church has to be the cover of the whole world. It has to have a physical address that you know where it is. It has to actually have a court system. It has to actually be, the, and this is what the church is. The church is not just a group of brothers and sisters who love Jesus. It is actually a civic government. Real quickly, in the upper room, there were 120 people. Why? We call it the birthday of the church. In Jewish tradition, if you were going to leave your big city like Jerusalem and go start a new community, you had to have 120 people. This is, Luke is telling us something in the upper room. He said there were about 120 names. In the Greek, it says names. 
almost like there's a list. We have 120 names on the list. We now have a quorum. We can leave this community and we can go start our own community with our own courts, our own judges, our own legislature. The church was intended to be like a civic organization that had canon law and canon lawyers and courts to be able to adjudicate among us, just like Israel had that. We're the new Israel. We're not just a bunch of brothers and sisters that love Jesus. We're part of an organization. We're part of a government. It's a kingdom, actually. Jesus gave us a kingdom. And so in that kingdom, I my goal ultimately is to get people to see that and come in. But at the same time, those people out on the rafts, they're my brothers and sisters. Vatican II reminds us that they are my brothers and sisters in Christ, though separated from the ship. And so I, there's a lot that I can learn from them. There's a lot they can learn from us. And instead of fighting, we ought to say, look at the way Protestants study the Bible. They can sing good. They know how to evangelize. They're proud of the gospel. More evangelicals are out there voting for pro-life and moral issues now even than Catholics are in many ways. There's a lot we can learn from the Protestants, and there's a lot they can learn from us. Mm, so, it's so powerful. I think ecumenism is when we're all back in one house eating one meal at one table. I love it. Uh, two main points I want to bring up there. Uh, the first point is, uh, you know, it's very easy if you're out on one of those rafts that Steve is portraying in this imagery uh, to look at the ship and say, oh, they have a hierarchy up on that ship. I don't want to be subject to that hierarchy. That's why I'm not coming on that ship. Right? And that's how a lot of my Protestant friends look at Catholicism that, well, I'm anti-hierarchy. And to be anti-hierarchy in the church is very interesting to me because to your point, the early church had hierarchy. Our early church fathers had a, a final court of appeals, right? It went all the way up to Peter as the head. And then I look at America, the entire democracy of America, and I, this may be far-fetched and it's just my own opinion, but our founding fathers built this hierarchy that works called government. And that's why we have the most powerful democracy on the planet and I believe it was founded off of our early church fathers and the hierarchy that God instituted in the church. They didn't just come up with that here in America. It was built upon something that was already working. So to be anti-hierarchy is, in my opinion, to be anti-American uh, or democracy and to be anti-early church fathers. Anti-scriptural. Thank you. Because the scriptures present a hierarchy. You are to obey the bishops, the overseers of your church, Paul says, that there are those in the church who have authority, that keep the unity. The, the Bible, for those who have the Bible alone and they want to recreate the church today, which is, I was part of that for about six years where we were going to recreate the New Testament church, and we took the Bible as our blueprint, and it was a disaster because you just the church is already there. You don't recreate the church 20 centuries later. And the whole idea that you are just me and Jesus in the Bible is very unbiblical. The Bible presents, even from the Old Testament all the way through the New, that there were leaders. Moses sat on the seat, and Jesus said, the scribes and Pharisees sit on the chair of Moses, therefore do whatever they tell you. That's a position of authority. 
And Jesus now gave that chair to Peter and says the same thing. You obey the church, you obey the leadership. And this is what happened and why there's divisions because a whole bunch of sheep decided, I'm not going to follow the shepherd anymore. I'm going to go take off and go, come on, hey, sheep, eh, come on with me. And then they take off and they start their own little flocks. And the next thing you know, there's flocks all over the place. And the confusion isn't because Jesus didn't plan it well. It's because the sheep got stubborn and thought they knew better than the shepherd. And they all took off and went in their own directions. Jesus gave us a church with an authority. And that authority was there to keep the doctrine and to keep unity among all of us. And when, that's, when that is forfeited, then we have the confusion and the device, division that we have today, unfortunately. Mm. So BC Nation, if you're listening right now, I know for a fact, if you're currently uh, in the Protestant space in your spiritual journey, that some of this language we're we're speaking about is very confronting. Some of these arguments we're making, very confronting. Um, And there's a part of you that says, even though some of this is making sense, even though I don't want to hear it, it's making sense. I need to go study that. Please do. That's the first part. Please do. Um, the second part is there's a part of you that says, this is how I was raised. This is how it, was, oh, it has always been. Therefore, this is how it is. But why am I feeling confronted? Why am I feeling agitated by what I'm hearing right now from Steve and from Joseph? Truth agitates. Truth causes friction. Friction causes growth. Without friction, there is no growth, right? And the Holy Spirit is constantly moving and leading us. So don't fight that friction if you're feeling it welling up inside of you. It's a good thing. The Holy Spirit's asking you to seek further, right? To learn more. And only pride, only ego makes you want to just run from it or, or get rid of it. Like, I don't want to face that. I don't want to look any deeper in that it, because it goes against how I was raised. And in order for me to, uh, to accept this or even explore this new type of teaching or presentation of, you know, the, of scripture, et cetera, then I have to let go of my entire life and the way I was raised and everything I was taught and all the generational stuff. And our ego does not want that change. And I have lived through that. I have seen it firsthand from a very authentic place that resistance to generational upbringing, even if the truth is staring us right in the eye, we will not look at it because then we have to let go of all that was. Steve, anything you want to say to that from your own uh, spiritual journey? Am I wrong on that? Is there some... No, Something you're there. totally right. Uh, my father taught me when I was young, follow the truth, even if it hurts. Mm. Always go for the truth. That's what matters. And when I came to the conclusion over time that the Catholic Church was the fullness of the faith and that you said this, this is always the way it's been. Well, that always has been that way for the first thousand years. There was only one church and it was the Catholic, visible Catholic Church. And when I became a Catholic, I knew that it was going to have a huge effect on our family, extended family, because my parents were very theological. They had just become Baptist converts, right, when I was a year before I was born. So you can imagine their reaction to me becoming Catholic. They wouldn't talk to us for over a year. My mom is now 99 years old, and we have a very good relationship, and she's still very sharp. And my dad died at 94. They were married 73 years. But they, it was a, the biggest 
division in our in our family. My parents, I love them. We're the best friends of the best friends ever. But this brought a division. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace. I came, I came to bring division because in his days, the Jewish people, many of them rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And those who accepted Jesus became the heretics. And they the, the, uh, the, the families divorced them. And Jesus knew this was going to happen. And when I became Catholic, my family left us, and my wife's family were not so theological for them. They were Presbyterians, and it was more tradition. How can you leave this tradition? Our family's been all the way since back in Moravia and Czechoslovakia for 500 years. We've been Protestants. How can you? My wife is the first Catholic in her family in 500 years. Imagine the reaction her parents had. They refused to talk to us. We lost every friend we had in two, within two weeks because our, all of our friends were evangelical Protestants. We lived in a Protestant evangelical world. When we became Catholic, you said it, it, it can be painful. It was painful. But I followed what my dad said. Follow the truth no matter what, how it hurts. Within a year or two, our families both came back. And we had as good a relationship or better than we did before. And we got all new friends now. And I would not, knowing that there was going to be pain, I would not let that pain keep me from doing what I did. It's like lifting weights, okay? I bet you do. You look like you're in shape. If you're going to lift weights, it's going to be painful, right? But in the end, the results are blessed. If you're going to lose weight, it's painful, but the end results are worth it. And coming into the church for us, finding the fullness of the faith, going through the pain, now it has built a stronger, more spiritual, more in love with Jesus, more of a relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father, all three. I sing better now than I used to when I was a Baptist. And um, I love I love the faith. I love the Bible now 10 times, 100 times more. You mentioned my book, John's Gospel. There's 450 pages. I study the Bible and write about it now more than I ever did as a Protestant. I love all of these things. The things that I had as a Protestant, I now have 100 times richer. Wow. So something you brought up, and then we're going to wrap up the show. Uh, I could keep talking with you. This is really amazing uh, conversation. The healing that God did in your family for that great divide, how did that come about? Because you just kind of jumped right over that. And, you know, a year later, we're all healed again, et cetera. I know how painful it was in my family for that to happen. Um, but it was a, a total surrender of self and ego where God was able to now come in with his power to heal and, and, and resolve that. How did it happen in your family? Well, partly I, I told you about my book, Crossing the Tiber, the letter I wrote to my parents. And they, my dad said he read it. I, don't, I know my mom did not, but my dad did read it. And at least he knew that I was thinking that it wasn't a stupid thing to do, that it was based on good reason. But what really happened with my parents, and I'll tell you about my wife's parents in a moment, with my parents was that my kids were teenagers. And I said, you know what? You guys now have your driver's license. Grandma and grandma are not going to be here forever. You need to go over and visit them more often. So they decided every Tuesday to go over to my mom and dad's for lunch, my, my son and my daughter. 17 and uh, 14. And they went over every Tuesday and spent the afternoon with my old parents. And my mom and dad said, the love of the Lord, the joy of the Lord just oozes from your kids. Their spirituality 
you had to have made the right decision because there's no way that your kids would be like that if that was a wrong decision. The fruit is telling me that you that God led you into the church. So that healed it with my parents. With my wife's family, and this is something we can also learn, I hope maybe to share it with people, is that we always think it's our job to convert people, but it's really not. It's the Holy Spirit's job. And I knew that my wife's parents would never listen to me. I was that young kid that stole their daughter and took her into the Catholic church. They said to me, uh, they wouldn't talk to us. So I said to every day, Lord, I want you to bring somebody else into their life because they're never going to listen to me. I, every day I prayed that for a year. Lord, I'm not going to let you off the hook on this. I'm going to hold you. You said, if I ask, you'll give me what I ask. And I'm going to ask you every day. I'm not going to let you get away without doing that. You bring somebody else into their life to impress them with the Catholic church because I can't do it. A year later, my in-laws were camping in Kerrville, Texas with another family. And the lady says, I just read the best book in the world, Mary. You've got to get a copy of this book. They're book club ladies. You know, they shared books. So what is it? She said, it's Crossing the Tiber. She said, it's the best book I ever read. And my mother-in-law said, well, who wrote it? I'll get a copy. She said, Stephen Ray. She, Stephen, that's my son-in-law. You liked his book? Oh, Mary, it's the best. Now, I'm not tooting my own horn, and my mother-in-law didn't become Catholic. But what it did do is it broke all the barriers down. And all of a sudden, now they wanted to know why we became Catholic. Can we read your book? And now all of that was healed. So over time, and loving on both of our parts, not arguing and fighting, but loving them, and showing the joy of the Lord in our life, and praying for them, both of them came back to us and became very good friends and respectful of us again. I... I it's so powerful what you're saying, loving on each other, not arguing and fighting. Love is a powerful weapon. If you, if you love someone, I remember one time a lady came up to me and she said, you're a Catholic. And she got right in my face and you're, she went on and on. And I, after she got done, she took a breath and I reached over and I hugged her. I even kissed her on the cheek and I says, ma'am, I want to thank you for caring about me so much. I know that you said all of that because you love me and I love you too. And God bless you. Thank you. She just sat back and she had no idea what to say. All the wind went right out of her sails. I loved her. And she didn't know how to deal with that. That's what we need to do with people more. Theological arguments, yes, but not before love. Mm. Love people back into the church. And stop trying to convert everybody. Darn it. And, and, and Steve, I know your website is Catholic Convert, so <laughs> .com. Uh, we're speaking with uh, Steve Ray. Uh, you can find him at CatholicConvert.com. Steve, it's been uh, my honor uh, to have you on the show. Thank you for sharing your spiritual journey um, to the, back into the richness and fullness of the church Jesus created. Uh, and, and really just loving people back into the church because it's the only thing I've seen that works. And, and I also like what you said about your in-laws. They didn't become Catholic and that's fine, but they probably became more loving Protestants. Yep. And the relationship was healed. Yes. And that's what God wants. And just for all my Protestant listeners out there, by no means does the church, the Catholic church, 
as you know it, teach that there is only one way in uh, to heaven, right? That there is no salvation outside of the Roman Catholic Church. That is not taught by the church. Please don't believe that. Even Mother Teresa, I love what she said. Um, I was just watching a documentary on her and, and she's like, if you're a Hindu, be a great Hindu, right? If, if you're a Catholic, be a great Catholic. If you're Protestant, be a great Protestant. I'm paraphrasing there. But she wasn't out to convert people. She was out to love people with the love of Jesus Christ. And That's wherever the Holy Spirit led them, that was good enough. What did you want to add to that? Well, my father, when he died at 94 years old, all the last years of his life, every time I saw him, he says, Steve, I can't wait to go be with my Lord who shed his blood for my sins. I can't wait to get to heaven and say thank you. My dad loved the Lord numero uno in his life. That was the thing that drove my dad. He didn't understand the Catholic Church. He started out as an anti-Catholic, but he loved Jesus. And the Lord sees our heart. And he also, due to ignorance on my father's part about the church. Now, if my father knew the church was the right thing and he rejected it, that's a whole nother story. But my dad didn't know. He had been convinced the Catholic church was the biggest evil. So when my dad died, I know he went to heaven. He probably got detoured through purgatory, which will be a surprise for him. But he, I, I have no doubt my dad's in heaven because there's nothing that my dad loved more than Jesus. And he used to sing to me every night before we went to bed. He'd sing the song to me all through my childhood. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. I get choked up even singing it. And that's why my dad's in heaven today. I have no doubt that he is. God reads people's hearts. He watches their conduct. That's what is important to God. Yes, there's importance of the church, and he wants us all to be in one church to be a witness to the world. But ultimately, he's also going to deal with us as individuals. And he saw my dad's heart, and I have no idea when I get to heaven, I'll be with my dad again. And I want to hear him sing that song for me again. Ah, that's beautiful. Broken Catholic Nation, wherever you are in your faith journey, whatever label you identify with in your Christian walk, Love your Christian brothers and sisters in their Christian walk. Don't make them wrong. Love them. Let the Holy Spirit lead them to truth. Don't push them away with divisiveness. That's the main message of this show today. That's why I wanted Steve on this show is to unify Christians everywhere, to unify Protestants and Catholics, to stop fighting each other just because we worship the same father a little differently. Stop. Enough. When we're fighting each other, we're practicing the ways of the enemy. We're not practicing the love of Christ. So what Steve is talking about is to show up with the love of Christ, love people back into the church, love people into heaven. That's the way. That's the way Jesus did it. That's what we're called to do. You can find Steve Ray at CatholicConvert.com, CatholicConvert.com. Welcome to my favorite part of the show, Steve. Welcome to the confession round. I'm going to ask you 10 quick fire questions. You'll have about three seconds to answer each. Don't overthink it. Are you ready, sir? Yes. Are you a priest? Am I making confessions like that or another kind? I don't have the hierarchy of the church okay. and authority right. supporting me on this. It's just my own little confession round. What right. is your favorite thing about God? Um, that he accepts us no matter what and loves us no matter what. What's your least favorite thing about God? That he knows everything I'm thinking and seeing and, and feeling. <laughs> That's a very vulnerable place to be. What are you most afraid of? Oh, being displeasing to God. Mm. I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of it. I don't like pain. 
But I think the main thing that I'd be afraid of is be displeasing to God and have him turn away when I stand before him in heaven someday. Mm, so powerful. Steve, I believe we're all struggling with something at any given moment of our life, just part of the human condition. What are you struggling with right now, either professionally or personally? I'm getting older and I'm realizing my productive years are coming to a close. And that makes me ask God, what can I do to be a better servant of yours with a few years I have left. I don't like getting old. My body's changing. My joints are getting sore, but that's the thing that bothers me the most. I don't like getting old, mm. but I am getting smarter. Good. <laughs> what do you wish you, uh, what did you spend way too much time doing in your twenties? Oh, you know, I really, I don't know that I did because I've always been focused. I, I always, in my, in my 20s, I was focused on Jesus and building a family. I Is there anything you wasted time on? No, because I, 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 maybe that's an arrogant answer, but I really believed in redeeming the time. And, and my wife and I said, we're not going to waste our time. We're going to use our time wisely and profitably. And I, like, I've never golfed in my life. I mean, that's uh, not that golfing is bad, but I, just to show you, I really, my life has been focused and I can't think of anything. Um, I spent my whole life serving the family and working hard. I, so I'm sorry. I, I'm going I, to accept that answer. We're going to move on. Arrogant maybe on no, that. that's, that's not, that's what's so. So thank you for that. What secret fear do you have about, people. Secret fear about people. Well, you know, we all like to be liked. We all like to be accepted. Um, so I guess the fear of, of, of being rejected by people, especially if it's for wrong reasons. Mm, I get that. What do you wish you had learned sooner about God? I wish I had discovered the Catholic Church sooner. That wasn't until I was um, 39 years old. Mm. Um, but probably of the whole sacramental life, I would have lived more holy had I had all the sacraments and the teaching of the church. Got it. What's a new habit you want to create in your life? More prayer and med and, uh, and um, contemplation. I've always been an active person doing, reading, studying. Um, I think as I get, my wife does the praying, I do the studying. We kind of a good team, but I think as I get older, I think more, adding more prayer and contemplation, mm, I spiritual get that. things like that in my life. What's a bad habit you want to break? Oh, and don't tell me you don't have any, because that oh, would no, be no, arrogant, there, my friend. Um, <laughs> you know, everybody, every guy has to deal with unclean thoughts, you know, every guy wants to have less of that. It's a constant battle we all live with. And the world doesn't help us any because it keeps throwing it in our face. Um, so that, and um, my wife is a great help for that though. I mean, she's the best, but I, I would say that. That's awesome. Thank you for being real and transparent about that. Pick three words to describe who you are now. Driven, joyful, and um, a disciple. Mm, got it. Pick three words to describe who you were before you experienced God in the Catholic tradition. Self-important, independent, 
Lone Ranger. I, I, you know, because it was me and Jesus and it was me against the world. And I realized there's, there's a church. Um, so I, I would even say a little arrogant before I discovered the church. Yeah. Got it. And last question. If you could come back to life after you died, and I know this is not theologically sound, but it's a good question. If you could come back to life after you died, look your family and friends in the eye and give them only one piece of advice about everything, what would you say to them? Put Jesus Christ first in your life, be his disciple and never look back. Amen to that. Any final wisdom? What's the one thing you want my listener to know about having a relationship with God and following and pursuing truth wherever it leads, even if it's outside their tradition, versus not? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added and taken care of. Find out what God loves. God loves his church. It's his bride. Love what Jesus loves. And then seek him with all your heart and love with he, what he loves with all your heart. Be holy because there's nothing else that matters. Only saints are in heaven. Only holy. Be holy. Follow Jesus Christ and never look back. Steve, what do you got? Uh, maybe a gift for uh, my audience or an invitation. I know you do all these trips to the Holy Land. What do you want to share right now? And how do they find you if they uh, really resonated with your story today? Everything's on my website. It's like the pub of a wheel that goes to our pilgrimage site, my, my store, my free stuff, everything. I put up a daily blog about everything that's important to me. And we do, we've been grounded for a year of leading pilgrimages, but I lead 10 or 11 a year, my wife and I together, to seven a year to the Holy Land. We've been to Israel over 180 times. We've led thousands of people there. We go to Poland, Ireland, all the Catholic locations, and we do pilgrimages. So it's on my website. And uh, got a lot of books. I have a lot of free stuff there too. If people want to read about why I became Catholic and the arguments for it or the understanding of it at catholicconvert.com forward slash resources. But uh, I, I'll, I'm going to send you, this will be my free gift. I'm going to send you a link to an article I wrote called Six Rules for Dealing with Non-Catholic Family and Friends. It has been very helpful to thousands of people, and I've had many say so. It's six rules that I came with, came up with of how to deal with family and friends who are not Catholic, loving them into the church, praying for them. There's, there's six of them. And, they, and if you practice these six, it works. So I'm going to send you a link after this, and that'll be the gift. Give everybody that link, and it'll, I think it'll really help them find unity and love and um, get along with other people who are not Catholics. I am super intrigued by that, and I want to see it myself, just from my own personal experience. And BC Nation, I'm sure you want to get that as well. So go to catholicconvert.com and look for also in the show notes of this show, this episode, we'll put that link to Steve's free gift. Steve Ray, thank you for being on Broken Catholic. I wish you God's love, peace, and joy in your life, my friend. Thank you, Joseph. Let's do it again sometime. This was delightful. Cheers. BC Nation, you cannot show up authentically in your life without building faith in your business. If you want the business side of that conversation, I have another podcast called First 100K, where I interview successful entrepreneurs about how they made their first $100,000, because that's where I believe 90% of you are stuck and you can't break through. Go to first100k.com to find out how. 
I'm Joseph Warren. You were made for greatness. So stop being a wuss and start being a winner. Have a blessed day and I'll see you right back here next week.